Mini episode 1487 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge mini-episode 1487. This is FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris here with one of our favorite FDH Lounge dignitaries, our good friend, FDH Hoops analyst Ben Chu. And uh, we are here today breaking down the 2022 NBA draft, giving you a little bit of a preview of what's to come. And, of course, you can check this out. We will have the link for this show embedded. If you want to check out uh, what we have coming your way annually here, Pro Hoops Draftology 2022, available on the main page at fantasydrafthelp.com. There you will see my mock draft. You will see our rankings. You will see all of the great coverage from uh, fantasydrafthelp.com, the FDH Lounge, and Sportsology. So uh, without any further ado, my good friend Ben Chu for what should be uh, an interesting discussion of, uh, I think this is a, a pretty good draft class, uh, Ben Chu. You've got three or four players that could be earmarked for greatness and uh, a couple right behind them there that have, need to have some things go their way but uh, could have some pretty high upside as well. Right, and I think also too, Rick, with just the uh, way that this draft is kind of, as we've discussed already, top-heavy at the top three. There's still a lot of question marks on a couple of different players, guys like Shaden Sharp, guys like Jaden Ivey, and it's going to be very interesting to see kind of how everything shakes out, because there are a bunch of teams in that tail end from four to eight that could go a bunch of different ways. Absolutely, and I think that the real question mark is going to come at number four. We'll talk about that with Sacramento, but uh, you, you've got essentially at the top, uh, you know, in the Christmas season, it's the three wise men. In this draft, it's the three big men, and then you also have uh, one amazing combo guard as well in the mix but uh, commonly expected to be the first four players going all and uh, overall. And presently, I have them going in this order. Uh, and that would be uh, Jabari Smith, the combo forward from Auburn. Really, really sweet shooting 6'10 player who is uh, evoking a lot of comparisons to, yes, Kevin Durant. Uh, Chet Holmgren, the outstanding center from Gonzaga. You might see him playing some power forward in the near term as he is all of... These are almost comical dimensions, seven foot, but 195. Uh, but uh, a do-it-all player, somebody that famously crossed over uh, Steph Curry a couple of years ago at uh, one of his camps here, uh, put the moves on him. Uh, just a truly, truly amazing player in that frame. Paulo Benchero, the center-slash-power forward from Duke, uh, 6'10", 250. Uh, he may not quite have the ceiling of Holmgren, but some think he's got a higher floor because of Holmgren's potential to get pushed around by the rim. And then the uh, combo guard that I was referring to, Jaden Ivey from Purdue, uh, 6'4", 195. Uh, this is somebody who can play either spot there in the backcourt. And uh, commonly 
there tends to be a line drawn underneath those four guys. Uh, it's not necessarily a consensus Ben Chu, but that seems to be the first tier according to many uh, of the uh, scouts and authorities out there. Right, and pretty much for this draft, the first three of Holmgren, Bronchero, and Jabari Smith have kind of, uh, pretty much been locked in for most of this, you know, mm -hmm. kind of timeline of college basketball going into the mocks. And it's going to be really interesting to see with Orlando having the first pick. They could kind of go either way with Smith or with uh, Chet Holmgren, who was teammates with uh, Jalen Suggs at one point in their high school career. So it's going to be interesting. It kind of feels like OKC will take either one, either guy, whoever falls to them. And Houston's pretty locked in with Ron Sharon. It's going to be interesting to see with Sacramento at the four pick where they kind of go because they all, it's weird. All The one guy, you would think in a draft for Sacramento, you know, big guys that they desperately need, they literally fall into the one spot where there isn't really any big guys to speak of. That is really kind of interesting. And again, if they had a way to trade up, I'm sure they'd like to, but they're in a spot here. It's really kind of weird. They made a deal that a lot of people really ended up panning after the fact here of uh, moving a Halliburton to uh, Indiana. And again, they wanted to get Sabonis in there. They wanted him in the front court. But uh, again, they're still, uh, they're set in the backcourt. That's the reason that they made that move and that uh, they didn't want to do that many uh, three-guard sets. And they're in a spot here where, hands down, if they stick in that spot, the best player is Jay Nivey. And I'm seeing some speculation that they could stay in that spot and take Keegan Murray, uh, the power forward from Iowa, who fits what they need up front a little bit more. And positionally, and you and I, for many years going back, have criticized Sacramento for having uh, a mismatched roster and uh, not paying attention to what their needs are when they draft guys. The needs-based pick would be somebody closer to Keegan Murray. But by the same token, can you pass up Jay Nivey in that spot there, uh, even if it means you might have to trade somebody else on the roster to fill some of the holes in the front court? Right, and I think it's an interesting interesting scenario in Sacramento, too, just because I know their owner, Vivek Ranadive, really has put out the mantra that he wants to make the playoffs next season. Um, and it kind of feels like the move would be to take Ivy and then try and move one of your other pieces. But the issue that we've discussed already, Rick, is that they've fallen into is they're taking the same guy constantly and just nothing ever seems to fit. So Murray would probably be their best player. I, my only fear of him, he's undersized, but doesn't really, he's kind of like the prototypical kind of three and D guy in today's NBA. And I always wonder with the fourth overall pick, if you really want to put your eggs in a basket for a guy who's kind of a tweener at periods of time during his NBA, during his uh, college career. Yeah, that's a very good point. And uh, I think medically speaking, there are different forms of amnesia, long-term and short-term. For those in the Sacramento front office, their specific form of amnesia is whoever they took last year, uh, because they never tend to take into account what the roster looks like, who they've put their investments in. Their focus is just purely on best player available and uh, again, for once, I couldn't criticize them for taking Ivy because I, I think it is a choice between value and uh, anything else there in that spot. And I think you always go value. So even if you have to make another move uh, subsequently to fit Ivy onto the roster, I would do that there rather than reaching for Murray because I think that would be a reach in that spot because he is one of any number of players that are interchangeable in the uh, five through maybe about 12 spots there. Uh, you've got sweet shooting. 
Duke forward A.J. Griffin, Shaden Sharp, who, as you mentioned, the big mystery man of this draft. Uh, he was uh, a, an early commit to Kentucky. He moved his eligibility up a year, but Cal Perry never put him in the rotation. Hoped and prayed he'd come back for 2023. That was not the case. Uh, a shooting guard with uh, amazing athleticism, amazing gifts, uh, but again, no recent tape on him. Uh, Benedict Mathurin from uh, Arizona, uh, an excellent uh, player from uh, Canada, a uh, great swing man uh, who can be uh, a 3 and D player and maybe even a little bit better. Okai uh, Agbaji from uh, Kansas, the great shooting guard prospect here, somebody who was uh, the very rare four-year prospect who just got better and better and better, played his way uh, into the, uh, the lottery there. And you and I talked about this off-air. What Agbaji's been able to do is pretty rare uh, because uh, there's not a long list of players in recent years that are four-year college players who just kept improving and improving and improving and, and making their way into the lottery because the lottery, uh, basically, it's not all about upside and potential, but you have to be perceived as having that to whatever degree to make it to the, lo the lottery. It's very, very rare uh, for there to be a low-ceiling guy that makes it to the lottery, and Agbaji might have been considered that a year or two ago, but he's not considered a low-ceiling guy anymore. Right, and I, I think the major thing with him is, is that he's a very good outside shooter. He can play the perimeter defensively very well. He's a great complementary piece in a rotation for any sort of these up-and-coming teams. And I've seen, I'll say this too, I've seen some scenarios with just in general, Rick, that he can be taken in the midpoint of the lottery, but he, I've even seen some mocks of him fall out of the, at the tail end of the lottery too. So he's kind of a little bit everywhere in this draft as some of the European kids, the Osmond, the Osmond Jennings and the Dyson Daniels guys, are starting to bounce up a bit. And because of that, it's going to be interesting to see where he ultimately lands. He could end up on a, a playoff team. He could end up on a team that just missed the playoffs. So it's going to be very interesting to see his overall discussion, sort of where he will go in this draft. Very much agreed. And yes, uh, the players outside of the NCAA crop are uh, impacting the draft here at this point. As you mentioned, Dyson Daniels, probably the best of the players from G League Ignite as far as a draft prospect as of right now. Uh, internationally, as you mentioned, Osman Dieng, the French player uh, coming into the draft, he's really been rising up the ranks here. So that's throwing it into a little bit of a flux here as we get into uh, sort of the silly season here of the uh, lead up to the draft. And uh, on a conference basis, the most interesting conference to me by far in this draft is the Big Ten, because you have a couple of very, very rare stories. As much as Ekbaji is a rare story of a four-year guy who played his way into the lottery and is perceived as a guy with some star potential in the league at this point, it's also rare for guys to take a big jump from year one to year two, a really big jump where you play your way into the lottery. Uh, and that is what's happened with a couple of the guys here, the aforementioned Keegan Murray from Iowa, as well as shooting guard Johnny Davis from Wisconsin. So you have those prospects there. We already mentioned Jaden Ivey, who is sort of the consensus guy in the number four spot here, whether Sacramento uh, does anything in that spot or uh, potentially trades out of it, although there's not a lot of trade rumors surrounding Sacramento right now. And the other player that I would put in the Big Ten mix here somebody who has risen up the uh, draft boards fairly decently in recent months, Malachi Branham from Ohio State, 
who uh, I had uh, uh, been covering this kid, uh, writing a uh, draft column for uh, GoGTS, and I would uh, urge everybody out there to go uh, check out some of the uh, draft coverage there. Uh, and, and noted that uh, this is a kid who, look, he's never going to be the best player from his high school because he went to St. Vincent St. Mary, uh, which is LeBron's high school, of course, but still has a chance to be a star in the NBA. And, and this is a guy who produced pretty well at Ohio State. But uh, for, for my team, the Cavs sitting at 14, that guy sounds like a sweet spot kind of a guy because he's already somewhat kind of plug-and-play for a rookie. I mean, not completely, but uh, he's not really a, a big developmental guy either. This is a guy who can start getting minutes year one and still has room to grow from there and is a, a pretty good shooter. So that's a guy that really has the mix of ceiling and floor that I find intriguing. Right, and I, I think the big sort of middle of this draft are a lot of guys who were kind of unheralded because this was a kind of a weird college basketball season. I was very top heavy with with teams like Duke and Gonzaga, and it feels kind of like <laughs> there's not a lot that is known about some of these players. And you'll start to see sort of some of the guys that uh, another name that you know has been you know kind of I would say we're kind of Bollywood around a lot of the mock drafts, at least of the how would I say it of the last. You know, since we're roughly what what was it now, Rick? About a week, about a week now, a little bit past a week from the start of the draft. We're we're within a week at this point. We're just yeah, barely within a week. So I mean, we're gonna you're gonna start to see a lot of people. I know Johnny Davis is a, someone everyone's being talked about. Jalen Duran was a prospect that everyone was kind of talking about. AJ Griffin at Duke. So there's a lot of like guys in the in the middle of the draft, and also if you talk about the tail end of the draft. Guys like Ty Ty Washington, EJ Liddell, and guys like Blake Wesley and even Bryce McGovern's of Nebraska. So it seems like to me there's going to be a lot of guys at the tail end of this draft that not a lot of people have like familiarity with, with, but are going to make big impacts. Yes, Ty Ty Washington is considered, I think at this point, uh, potentially the best pure point guard, particularly since, again, Ivy is sort of a swing between point guard and shooting guard. And uh, Dyson Daniels uh, also can play either spot there. But Ty Ty Washington, a five-star recruit to Kentucky, uh, is somebody that is very, very likely to go in the lottery. And uh, what's uh, interesting to me as well, you mentioned Jalen Duran. Uh, you've got him and Mark Williams, who are very much pure centers in a league where you don't see that as much anymore. So... These are guys that, uh, you know, 10, 15 years ago, you could be talking about as legitimate prospects to go in the top 10. We don't tend to see that as much anymore unless it's guys like, again, Chet Holmgren's got a completely modern kind of a game. Uh, Duran and Williams are kind of throwbacks, but uh, very valuable rotation pieces, uh, particularly where they might be going in the, mid, in the mid-teens to possibly higher teens. And uh, you look in there as well, an interesting... Uh, wild card player uh, from overseas, from Serbia, Nikola Jovic, uh, who uh, it's only uh, one letter in his last name that uh, changes the spelling from Denver's Joker there. So there's a lot of people making the lazy comparisons between them. But uh, again, Jovic, uh, he's a pretty good playmaker for his size, 6'11", uh, and somebody with a pretty good offensive game. Uh, but as is always the case with the international players, it, it is always a little bit of a pig and a poke 
looking at the footage there, uh, going through the scouting reports of their game and projecting on how they're going to fit into the NBA. But this is a guy that I think could be a useful uh, rotational player early on with a chance to be more than that. Right, and it's not surprising that the two teams that are very linked to it are San Antonio and Oklahoma City, teams with multiple picks in this first round. Yes. And another sort of, I would argue, too, Rick, a storyline that it's going to be forgotten about because it's you know, the tail end of the first round, but we obviously got to talk about the G League and Night Kids, Jaden Hardy and Major Ray Bochamp. Yes, yes. Who are two guys who are kind of... They didn't have. They're part of year two of this whole uh, G League Ignite experience. And even though Dyson Daniels is the guy everyone's talking about right now, he's been flying off the flying off the draft boards. I remember too. We talked about this two months ago, and he was barely even mentioned at the tail end, the middle to tail end of the first round, and now he's already in the lottery. So it's got to be interesting. I think Hardy, I would say, is probably the biggest question mark in this draft because he had a great. He was a very high high school prospect, and he just didn't really be, get his. You know, feet wet in, with G League, and I didn't have a great season. But it's going to be interesting to see where he kind of goes and where Bochamp goes because they are both sort of high-profile high school athletes who didn't have great seasons at G League at night, and then see how they do in the in the from the program because we have seen at least some of those guys who have been on G League at night, like Jalen Green, have had good seasons in the pros. Yes. And uh, I'm very intrigued as well because, uh, again, uh, if you look at the profile on me, probably in the first paragraph would be that I, I'm always intrigued by whatever somebody's pedigree is. And you're talking about some high pedigree guys there, uh, you know, it, especially Hardy with uh, the G League Ignite. And another guy who looks like he is potentially coming full circle and maybe working his way back into the late first round if not maybe even the 20-ish area, is Patrick Baldwin Jr., who was a consensus lottery pick a year ago, and probably high lottery pick. Uh, ended up going to play at Milwaukee with his father's team. Uh, ended up injured a, a good chunk of the year and underwhelming when he was on the court. But again, teams are circling back around to that pedigree and what uh, was thought of him a year ago. So it's very, very interesting uh, that teams are looking past uh, what was a very underwhelming freshman year for him at the NCAA level uh, and, and going back to what his potential may be. Uh, and again, you start getting into the 20s, and you look at a guy like him, and how many guys at that level have the uh, you know upside or potential, two of my favorite words for this process, that Patrick Baldwin Jr. has. So this is a guy who's making a little bit of a comeback uh, sort of a post-hype candidate in his own draft class. Right, and I think, too, it's like it's, it's, we only see this especially more like with the timeline now where, where you know, you can't go straight from high school to the pros anymore. You're seeing these scouts going through a little bit more of a process of analyzing these guys at the first year or the second year just in the totality of the G League, the overseas, and in college. And it's going to be also really interesting because I think the tail end of this draft in the first round is really interesting. You got Walker Kessler from Auburn as well, a seventh player that I know is going to be either a good fit in Milwaukee or San Antonio, or even if you really want to push it there. You got teams like Miami and Golden State who do need center help. It would be very beneficial for them to see what can happen. And the one thing that I always found that we haven't really gotten the opportunity to talk about this that. This is a despite Arizona, they weren't they weren't really they were you know a really great team 
during the college basketball regular season. But just looking at mocks that I've seen recently, they're getting three guys in the first round at this point, if you include Daylon Terry and Christian Colaco. It's just, it's going to be very interesting to see, especially at the tail end of this draft, if there's any sort of someone that can come out of nowhere and be someone that can be part of a playoff rotation for some of these teams. Very much so. There are players late in the first round that can be very useful in that regard. And again, you mentioned Walker Kessler from Auburn and uh, him being a, uh, a big-bodied center, 7'1", 255. That's a guy that could come in and play a very, very useful rotational role for somebody. And uh, I look at some other players, too, that look like they're going to drop to the late first round. And that, I mean, if they get in the right system, it uh, could really be uh, fascinating pieces for any of these really good teams that just need a little bit of rotational help ar- around the edges. Uh, and that would be uh, Blake Wesley, uh, the combo guard from Notre Dame. He may not last until even the mid-20s. Somebody that could last until the mid-20s or even the late-20s, shooting guard Max Christie from Michigan State. So there's a couple of guys in, in that mix there, yeah, that can really uh, come in and do this. And uh, Terry Eason from LSU, he has been rising up to potentially the fringes of the lottery uh, as an athletic small forward. Uh, prospect from LSU, uh, actually a combo forward. So uh, there are some very, yeah, very interesting this pieces. Too, Rick. Arguably one of the more intriguing prospects in that range too is Jalen Williams of Santa Clara. Yes. Who led them in assists back-to-back years. And on top of that, it's kind of one of those weird, and we've discussed this already, teams right now, especially in the NBA, the way you're downsizing in the playoffs. They want flexy guys who can pass and make plays. So Williams is going to be really interesting to see where he goes in certain blocks, too. Very much so, and uh, it's it's fascinating that you mention him because I have to say this sets it up for what could be uh, a real kind of who's on first moment uh, when they are announcing the draft picks here for this year as far as when Jalen Williams goes. And perhaps there will be uh, a... Uh, a, a a prop bet out there on which Jalen Williams, because uh, yes, there are two, and uh, they do spell their names differently. You have the uh, fast-rising swingman from Santa Clara, uh, as well as the uh, stocky power forward slash center from Arkansas. So uh, I would say of the two, Jalen with an E from Santa Clara, I would take him in the prop bet, Ben Chu. Yeah, I would think so too. And I mean, one guy that we, we love to talk about, Rick, we love these like late-round picks that people could follow up with. One of those guys is like Jake Larbry of Wake Forest. Who I know Wake Forest hasn't really done much in the college basketball world in recent memory. But he's another one of those like guys, 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, can shoot the three, can make good passing. That I think teams now are trying to build out the rotations with guys like that. like that Because once you get to the playoffs, you're going to need two or three of those type Six 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 eight guys who can spread out defensively and still hit the three-pointer. Yes, that is going to be a vital part of any team's rotation there, uh, particularly yeah, if they're guys that can be labeled as a 3-and-D uh, kind of a player. I should note uh, parenthetically here, uh, in terms of my mock draft in the guide, uh, this is one that just feels like a quintessential Nuggets kind of a pick here. And look out for this guy getting unlocked if they take him. I'm going to circle back. Patrick Baldwin Jr. Doesn't that feel like a quintessential Nuggets pick? Take a it guy would like be, that. Yeah, yeah. To pair with Jamal Murray and Bones Island, it would yes. make a lot of sense. 
yes, they love to gamble on guys and uh, see if they can kind of unlock them. And uh, that seems to be another guy who would really fit in that mold. So uh, as we're going through here, again, yeah, a very interesting draft crop. Uh, I, I should be, uh, as we're mentioning this year, probably a little bit of a homer here for my burnt orange. And uh, note that uh, a, a point guard prospect that I think will be on the fringe of the first round, Kennedy Chandler from Tennessee. I think he could be a useful player for somebody in that spot. J.D. Davison from Alabama. Uh, very quietly under the radar, Alabama has become point guard U over a period of time. Right, and there's just with a lot of these, there's just so many guys, Rick, this year that, that you can tell they're not going to be superstar players, but they're at the same point of like they have the ability to crack a rotation and make some big plays. I mean, even if you go into like, let's say a little bit deeper on into the draft, you'll see guys like Christian Braun of Kansas, Kendall Brown of Baker, Wendell Moore Jr. of Duke. And don't, if we, I would be behooven if we didn't mention overtime and King Montero. So. Yes. And that's a guy in the mock. I'll tell you what, you know where I got him going? I got him going to Miami. That feels like yeah. a guy that they might like to get in there and really kind of unlock. Much like Denver, they are one of the big player development teams and in the one NBA. guy, too, I, th- I feel like even though we haven't talked about him, but I think it's going to matter a little bit later, is Jeremy Sochin of Baylor. Yes. He's one of those guys that he's now at the tail end of the lottery or just missing the lottery who can do a lot on defense, but is has that sort of like, I guess you can say Fremont Green build. They're very similar build, 6'8", 6'9", about 220, 230. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be very interesting to see if Sochin has the ability or the or someone else in this draft has the ability to possibly play a Draymond-style role for one of these other teams. Well, that's very interesting. And then a little bit of an overlap positionally, same school. Uh, You have the uh, combo forward Kendall Brown. And uh, that combination of guys, Brown, probably in about the 20 area, plus or minus, as far as where he might get selected. So I'm glad you mentioned Associan because him and Brown uh, together there, uh, both of them with the national championship pedigree, uh, worth keeping an eye on where they go. Uh, there is talk here, as I circle back to my Cavs, that uh, in the second round, uh, that one of the picks might be an international stash-type pick here. Uh, just send the guy overseas and hang on to the rights. And I will say, I will have a little bit of post-traumatic stress syndrome if that ends up being the center from Senegal, Khalifa Jop. If that ends up being one thing, I'm going to have flashbacks, buddy, I swear. (laughs) I mean, the song is now on the coaching staff right now of, uh, I believe, Houston, if I remember properly. Right. So, uh, it's going to, I don't know, this is, I would like to say, after going from the jaw Zion draft to kind of that wonky draft with Anthony Edwards on the mellow ball, this one has a lot more sort of, how, do I, how would I say this properly, Rick? It, it's an interesting draft. I don't know how good it's going to be, but at the end of the day, it's going to be very interesting to see who some of these teams are always going to try and figure out, too. And then also, I would, I would I'd be behooved not to mention this. One of my favorite names in this draft, Hugo Benson of New Zealand. Yes. So, yeah. I mean, come on. You gotta like that. It's been a while, Rick, since we've had a guy named Hugo in the NBA. Yes, I think we're overdue to get back to that point uh, and have another one. We haven't got a Hugo. We haven't got a. I will say though, that is a good nickname for a lot of things, Hugo Besson. Yes, it is. Yes, it is, and uh, I think that will be uh, 
he'll bring that interesting flavor to the NBA. And I think, again, just to kind of go full circle on this thing as we take a look at it, I mean, you've got Smith, Holmgren, Benchero, Ivy, four very high-ceiling guys at the top. And that in and of itself does not make a great draft, even if they turn out to be great players. But where you start to get a little bit closer to some of the vaunted ones like 84, 92, 96, is when you start to get some of those next guys who end up reaching that level. So somebody like A.J. Griffin, if he can come in and become one of the best offensive players in the NBA. Shaden Sharp, if he can unlock his potential and be more than a great athlete with an amazing vertical. Benedict Mathurin, who, uh, again, probably a floor as a 3 and D guy, but could be much, much more than that. Malachi Branham, if he keeps improving all around in his game. On and on it goes here. Uh, Keegan Murray, I mean, there are people who think that he has a little bit of a higher ceiling in the NBA probably than you and I do, but if those people turn out to be right, uh, then there's that. Ty Ty Washington, as I said, five-star recruit to Kentucky, if he plays with that pedigree at the NBA level and keeps improving. So you can, if you squint hard enough, you can see how this could become a a great draft class. My guess is in the end we're going to say good to very good, but it has the potential to be great. It's going to really come down to if the top three pan out. And we all know this, too. It's like you can, in like the history of NBA drafts, you'll have great drafts where you have two or three all-star caliber guys, but then they're not as great as you would think. And then you get a draft like 84 and 96 when you get four or five great draft, four or five great players in the same draft. So That's right. And uh, it remains to be seen how this one will go. But uh, a pleasure breaking it down with you as it is anything else, uh, Ben Chu. Thanks so much for your time, my friend. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks, buddy. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in to FDH Lounge Mini Episode 1487.